Simon Lee, welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. My pleasure. How long have you been in the United States with your, your families in the studio right here? How long have you been in the States this time? I've uh, been back for like a month. Um, it's, um, well, I, I, I came back at a very interesting time. It was right before uh, the third wave started in Hong Kong, and it was right after the national security law. So very interesting time, and uh, I once again I feel freedom here. Yeah. And uh, I think everyone pretty much aware of the fact that Hong Kong is um, has changed a lot in the past few years and uh, especially in 2020 so uh, I, I I have this very very odd uh, uh, feeling when I'm back here at home yeah and it and was the the passage of the so-called national security law or did that seem like a good time to maybe get out for a bit and um, just to see what's going to happen next, or uh, yeah, I, I stopped writing um, the day before the laws enacted, and I stopped writing not only because I, I'm uh, I'm afraid of anything, but I just there was one day I was looking at the um, computer, and I spent the whole afternoon just staring at a blank. Word document with just one line. Yeah, and then I was like, okay, perhaps it's about time for me to take a break. Yeah, and see what's uh, what what would it be like. So we met um, through the Atlas Network, which is a a I think they have about five hundred different organizations and 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 a vast number of free market classical liberal associates all over the world. And you have been a free market advocate activist in Hong Kong forever, right? You were born in Hong Kong, right? I'm born and raised there. I started um, in, in, in the activism, so to speak, in 2004. So it's been 16 years. And that was really the beginning of the what, what we now see as the student protests in Hong Kong. Yes, you're right. Um, a lot of people started to to have this uh, um, uh, reckoning about the Hong Kong's future. I think back in 2003, when we had the first um, national security law discussion back then, um, it was a surprise. It was a surprise not only to most Hong Kong people, even to the people in the government, in the administration. I remember at a very early stage, um, the Hong Kong government was caught by surprise and the Secretary for Justice actually had a wrong interpretation of what she was intended to do. And um, the worst was history. We had uh, one million people on the street. Um, the government retracted um, the legislative proposal and I'm talking about 2003. And after 17 years, the um, Beijing government finally decided uh, that they would bypass the Hong Kong legislative process and just enacted the law through um, a process in Beijing, which is um, 
to most Hong Kong people, that means the end of uh, one country, two system as we have known. So let's let's remind people of the history of the one country, two systems, and and you have to go back to at least 1997. Why is Hong Kong different than mainland China, and why is China now trying to reassert its authoritarian control over Hong Kong? In 1997, Hong Kong was handed over to, um, from London to Beijing, from a British colony to become part of the um, China, the People's Republic of China. Having said that, it was based on another agreement made in 1983, uh, finally signed in 1984, um, ironically. That agreement signed in 1984 was called the Joint Sino-British Declaration. It was a declaration by two nations. Um, To put it simply, it says Hong Kong will remain an autonomous administrative region for another 50 years after 1997. Um, Autonomy means Hong Kong has its own administrative apparatus, has its own legislature, has its own judiciary, and I think the most importantly is um, the the power, the freedom to say no to Beijing from time to time. As we had in 2003, Hong Kong people said no to the national security, security law, and the law was shelved for 17 years. Um, the reason why people says, okay, there will be no more one country, two systems because Hong Kong people lost the freedom to say no at the end of the day. And if you do not have the freedom to say no, that means you have to say yes to everything. And hence, no more autonomy. Yeah. And and you have written about this extensively, and I want to get into the, the economic relationship between mainland China, which... Um, for most of the 20th century was was trying to implement real socialism Mm. in in very devastating ways versus Hong Kong, which was an international port and a capital center and a free market. And and Milton Friedman has had for uh, most of his career pointed to Hong Kong as the most free market, free, prosperous city in the world. And, and why, why is Hong Kong so different from mainland China economically? Um, Hong Kong was the poster boy for the free market movement, and Hong Kong was the poster boy for freedom in general. Um, you, you, can, you can hold a beer and walk in the street and drink a beer, and it's, it's, to, to the surprise of many people, that's, that's freedom. <laughs> By the way, that that would be my 100% standard for measure of freedom. <laughs> yes. And and um I think in a way Hong Kong has uh, three very fundamental principles in place that made it a a a f- the freest society. Number 1 is uh, is a free port. Free port means everyone can do business in Hong Kong. Even if uh, it belongs, uh, the, the entity belongs to an enemy at war with the uh, British Empire. I'm talking about um, German uh, companies 
could do business freely in in Hong Kong during the First World War period, and that was a history. Hong Kong was a free port; anyone can do business. Uh, that was designed. Uh, that was designed to be、um, part of the Hong Kong's、uh, institutional norm.、Um, the reason being, once you allowed everyone to do business freely there, you avoided the cost of、uh, maintaining、uh, the military presence there, because Hong Kong was,、uh, geographically speaking,、um, not defensible at all. When, when、um, during the Second World War, when Japanese invaded Hong Kong, it shows that if there's an army from the north coming to Hong Kong, there's no way you can defend it. Just it's indefensible. But being an indefensible port gives Hong Kong a very interesting institutional setup. You don't have a military presence.、Uh, you don't have a very obvious military presence of, by anyone there. And secondly, because of that, you allow free trade to happen. Because if you do not allow free trade,、um, as Bastia says, you know, if goods cannot pass the border, soldiers will. So that's what that was the the, the beginning of Hong Kong being a trade, a free trade port and a free port in general.、Um, but if you look at what is going on now.、Um, Um, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the U.S. and the U.K.、Um, all declare they will stop the extradition arrangement with Hong Kong,、um, and CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, is、um, said that they will, they will, they will、um, have appropriate、uh, actions taken against all these foreign. Uh, powers, so Hong Kong has become not a free port anymore. Hong Kong is、uh, to to be a free port. You have to be open. You have to treat everyone equals. You have to have a just and fair institution at play in place, and that was by design、um, for Hong Kong as a trade port. So if you have a British company. And a German company having a trade dispute, a contract dispute, the the court will have a fair judgment against them, instead of like favoring one party over the other. So that was by design. And but if you look at the the situation now in Hong Kong, everyone says, if you are a mainland Chinese company, perhaps you will have. Certain preferential treatment over certain things.、Uh, I remember in the past few years,、uh, we our stock exchange been talking about、um, uh, changing the rules to allow more mainland company to be listed in Hong Kong, but、um, at the cost of、um, transparency and protecting minority shareholders' rights. So all these. Uh, changes tells us that Hong Kong is no longer the international financial center we once was in 1997. And I've I've read about、um, capital flights and brain drains. People of talent are leaving Hong Kong,、um, in part, primarily because of the economic shift that you're talking about. But but there's a real risk of of their of their freedom and civil liberties as well. 
Um, to be honest, and since 2019, a lot of people uh, raised many questions publicly, uh, semi-publicly, privately, and we've seen um, like um, uh, Cathay Pacific, which is an airline, supposed to be a private enterprise, um, censoring their own staff's um, uh, speech and, and, and they fired uh, their ground crew, their cabin crew for making a statement on Facebook. Um, that's not very normal in Hong Kong. Yes, you, 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 you should be accountable and responsible for what you said, um, either privately or publicly. But if it is against a certain situation, social situation, and you voice only your, your opinion, that does not constitute a professional um, misconduct per se. But um, Cathay Pacific fired the staff um, based on that. They say, okay, if you're a cabin crew, if, you're, um, if you run a flight, um, if you have a chance to go to China, and if you made statement like that, you create trouble for the company. Therefore, we cannot let you stay. Those are just one you know, tip of the iceberg. And there are other companies, banks, um, um, conglomerates, having the same kind of self-censorship against their own staff. Um, and quite recently, um, schools are firing teachers for being outspoken on on social matters. So, um, this is the first step. I think a lot of Hong Kong people think that uh, yes, if I remain silent, what would be the next that come to me? And the next would be you have to openly, vocally support the government. You have to be seen as being supportive to the national initiatives. You have to be, you have to be, you have to be loyal, and not only be loyal, but you have to be seen as being loyal. That goes really beyond the the, the tolerance of what many Hong Kong people can accept. And I think that was the reason why a lot of people are thinking about moving, especially the younger ones. Um, interestingly, I talked to a few retirees, and they say, I don't have a job. I don't have to be so concerned about it. So I will continue to do what I can um, to, to support Hong Kong's freedom and fight for democracy. I, I know a few uh, retirees are picking up writing and stuff like that because they think they have nothing to lose. So a lot, I think a lot of people that, that watch this show and are familiar with uh, the stuff that we do at Free the People know a lot about uh, Mao's Great Leap Forward mm. and the economic disaster and, and humanitarian disaster that, that resulted from that. And then the Cultural Revolution, which was just a, a radical form of, of censorship and forcing people to fall in line with with government propaganda uh, fast forward to president xi and the, the modern communist party are they unusually censorious 
or are they just feeling emboldened in Hong Kong because because uh, America and and Europe and and most of the free world is distracted by by COVID nineteen. We, if we want to understand the logic of the Chinese Communist Party, um, we 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 have to understand one very essential fact that is um, to the Chinese Communist Party everything is power, everything is just about domination, so. Um, their their views on the international relations is um, very conflicting. On the one hand, they see the U.S. being the the number one, the the strongest superpower in the world stage. But on the other hand, they look at the states as in in a, in a situation of disarray. Um, it's not only about COVID nineteen, but generally speaking, they believe that the United States is in a gradual decline and perhaps it comes to the um, critical moment where China can do something to claim the, the hegemonic position that they rightfully should deserve to have. Um, so in the past few years, um, especially after 2015, I have, I, as I observe, the Chinese Communist Party has been more assertive on a lot of things and the South um, China Ocean and its relationship with Hong Kong and um, even in its relationship with other foreign nations. Um, on the one hand, it, it becomes more assertive on a few agendas on technology front on um, trade, on um, on on um, situation, especially related to Hong Kong. In the past, um, Hong Kong was supposed to be the uh, the outlet for China to reach to the outside world, and vice versa. And one country's two system. Um, from a very Hong Kong perspective, it seems to be a protection of Hong Kong's autonomy. But at the same time, it is a protection of China's uh, very um, delicate balance between being a socialist nation, but at the same time that can enjoy the prosperity given um, uh, all these industrializations and, and massive export-led economic growth. Um, the one country, two system protected China from being co totally converted into a free market, hence a, a liberal society. Um, a lot of the trade and foreign import and contracts are done in Hong Kong, and China can, can enjoy the, the, the foreign capital, but at the same time without truly opening up itself to the world. Yeah. Hong Kong served that particular purpose. But since 2015, it seems, China's changed its view on Hong Kong. They want Hong Kong to be China's, um, uh, China's um, platform for exporting its agenda through the Belt and Road Initiative, through the um, um, 
Explain what that is for okay. people that don't know. The, the Belt and Road Initiative, uh, I would I would say is um, if you if you look at what China does is exporting projects to third world nations at a huge discount and sometimes even providing the financing to all these uh, nations. Quite often in Africa? In Africa, Middle East, um, even they, they, they wanted to do that in, in Europe as well. Um, you may think, okay, so what's wrong? At the very beginning, even we think that, okay, it is just because China has an excess capacity that they, they don't have anywhere to spend, so they try to export these infrastructural projects to a third world country and provide the loans. But um, after a while, it seems to me that it was a, 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 a I would say it's a scheme to attract to these third world country to be indebted to Chinese so that um, someday they have to, they have to pay it back to China using renminbi. So they want to export the renminbi debt through all these infrastructural projects. Um, so you see, f um, in, in the last three, four years, a lot of countries has been canceling all these projects, uh, beginning from Malaysia and even some African countries. Um, and usually those were after a, a, an election. Uh, a new government come to uh, the scene and then they say, okay, we are no longer going forward with these projects. They do so diplomatically, politely, saying, no, we cannot afford these things. But I, my suspicion is, um, when you go to a, a developing country and you say, hey, I have, a, I have a project, do you want to take it? Um, do you do so in a proper, uh, open auction with all the procedural fairness, that kind of thing? No, you don't. You 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 bribe uh, people in power to cooperate with you, so is is corruption, and and when you have other people coming into the, the position of powers, they don't they don't have the benefit of of all those predecessors who enjoyed, and they say, okay, we are canceling these projects. Hmm. So. Um, but the problem is, um, as we have seen during the colonial period, hundreds of years ago, um, you have an imperialist going to a less developed place. You deal with the, the nobility there, small group of people, and then you, 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 you take advantage of the control, you take advantage of those those nobility, the indigenous nobility, and exploit the common people. So, as the COVID-19 um, broke this year, the first group of nations that being really pissed off were not the Western European or Americans, the Africans. You see, you see that the, the anti-China sentiments Actually, it was the highest in a lot of African countries. The first, the first that came out and say, "Hey, um, the COVID outbreak is a racist 
um, is is uh, the the African com- community in Guangzhou. They said we are being discriminated because of our race. Um, so I don't know. It seems to me that um, since 2015, so f- five years ago, um, Chinese Communist Party changes direction and wants to instead of using Hong Kong as a place for attracting foreign capitals they want Hong Kong to become the platform for advancing the agenda of Belt and Road and uh, now this is collapsing and, and yeah. this is this is this is an agenda not going anywhere as well the word you use is kind of interesting because I struggle to explain to people what China is the official ideology. It's the Communist Party, um, but it's not the kind of socialism that Mao tried to implement. It's it's authoritarian, um, and you use the word imperialist, and I, I think that's an interesting uh, way to think about it. It's very nationalist. Um, it's very imperialist, and and it's it seems very naive of of the the economic rules that allow for prosperity. And you believe that China cannot continue to be um, economically successful if they destroy Hong Kong in the process. One of the problem with China's economy was um, the overreach of um, the Communist Party in, in different fronts. They try to advance the Belt and Road Initiative, but as we can see in the past few months, it's all about canceling the debts. Rather than having all these nations paying back China with renminbi, they just cancel the debt. Because you, there's no way you can enforce the, the, the contracts. There's no way you can, you can ask them to pay you. They would just default on the debt. And what could you do? Nothing. Um, the debt level domestically in China is exceptionally high. Um, last year, they tried to have a tax cut um, because people can no longer afford the, to pay the tax. But on the other hand, the government, the, the machinery needs the money to run. So they, they raise that. And um, they issue a, a special bond worth uh, like one trillion renminbi. So the bond, if it has to be repaid to begin with, but at the same time, the only buyer of the special bond issued by Chinese government was Chinese, because it was not offered globally to the world. On the other hand, and at a low, at a level lower than the national government, you have all these states, industries, state-owned enterprises. Some are really big. In the past, they can raise that in Hong Kong, and usually at a premium, but it's still manageable. So they can raise money in Hong Kong to sustain its own operation. Sometimes it is not very efficient, but thanks to a monopoly, it's hugely profitable. So they can repay the debt, so it's, it's how they run the show. But without Hong Kong, the the second tier of the state apparatus, that's the state-owned enterprises, can no longer access to the capital. So how could they maintain the the capital expenditure at this rate? I I cannot see 
there's a possibility for them to really go to to acquire uh, companies from overseas or resources or anything like that. Um, and another level, at provincial level, is a mess. Provincial level, China's debt is just a mess. Um, at the end of the day, I think it will be absorbed by the central government. The People's Bank of China will take all the debt and they will monetize the debt. And that means everyone is paying for the cost of this overreach. Um, I think that's ultimately the most um, pressing issues in China. And I cannot see any way they can deal with it. Uh, of course, uh, the Chinese Communist Party will say, look at all these Western nations, Europeans or whatever, Americans, they are all in debt. Why, yeah. why, why, why is it a problem in China, not the rest of the world? Then I will say, if the federal government in the United States is broke, yes, your, your Social Security, your Medicare, your Medicaid would be in, underwater. But you still have a free enterprise running the show. You, you have different pillars in the, in the social institution that does not really depend on the federal government. The state government is independent. Uh, even the county government, they, they have their own finances. But in China, it is one machinery. One bad decision from the top will percolate to the very lowest, lowest rank of society. And you cannot say no. You cannot say no to, to, to the top central government in Beijing. But given the different circumstances in different provinces or counties in China, how can you have one size fit all for everybody? And that was the reason why Hong Kong's been so successful despite, um, uh, the, despite uh, being part of China is because we have the freedom to say no. Of course, the, the Chinese government says, look at all these achievements we had since um, 1978, um, since Deng Xiaoping started the economic reform. Yes, the economic reform was very successful in the first 20 or so years. But it was not without challenges. It was not without uh, ups and downs. And if you look at the history of the China's economic reform, Hong Kong played a role. Hong Kong provided the capital, the expertise, the outlet for dealing with um, different challenges. But now, um, Chinese Communist Party homogenized the whole nation into one um, one system. And and I think that's eventually would be um, would 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 endanger their own system rather than Hong Kong system. So it's a very sad uh, situation. And maybe maybe that's that's hope that that the practical incentives of the Chinese Communist government will be to 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 learn this difficult lesson and maybe pull back some of these authoritarian. Um, grabs, but right now, like I, I just googled this before we spoke, and and a pr professor at mm -hmm. the University of Hong Kong, I believe, and the student activist, he was very involved in the protests and criticizing 
the uh, Chinese government's um, uh, trampling of, of speech and civil liberties and and students have been arrested and are disappearing. Um, talk about the, the, the civil liberties scene because I think a lot of Americans remember last November, October, when we would see student protesters waving American flags <laughs> yeah. and, and even, even citing the Bill of Rights and, and things that, that we, frankly, we take for granted here. We, we don't perhaps defend them enough in our country. Um, but with the COVID lockdowns, it seems like the, the Chinese government has come in and started cleaning house behind the scenes when, when people can't see it on camera. Um, and add to what you just said, um, the government is purportedly uh, trying to cancel, uh, postpone the legislative council election in September. Ostensibly um, because of COVID. Because of the COVID. Yeah. But um, just think about it. Um, is Hong Kong has been... In fairly successful in in managing the situation. Yes, there are about a hundred or so cases every day of uh, testing positive, but um, I don't see it being a a very um, clear and present uh, threat to Hong Kong society. Uh, a lot of people are extremely extremely displeased with the new wave of measures, they think the most important thing to do is actually to to close the border uh, rather than, um, rather than um, limiting people's freedom in everyday life. All restaurants are closed now. Um, um, government uh, is providing very limited uh, operation already and it seems to a lot of people that these are all um, done just to for the show that to pave the way to postpone the election. And the reason why Hong Kong... And Beijing, uh, to be clear, is calling these shots. It's not no longer autonomous local government. Um, a few weeks ago, if you link all these... Um, in, um, incidences together, including Benny Tai and the student activist. What Benny Tai did in the in the past two months was to run a primaries for the Democrats for the opposition, and it was surprisingly successful. And um, they originally planned to have about hundred thousand people vote to vote in the primaries. It turns out it's uh, uh, around, uh, if I remember correctly, 600,000, which is quite a lot, given it is a non-binding, just a show of your <laughs> your uh, personal preference on, on the candidates to run in the election. It's just, you know, something harmless, very harmless. But if you look at the, the rhetoric of both Beijing and Hong Kong government, it says, oh, it's illegal. It's, 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 um, if, if the primaries, um, uh, if the primaries uh, dictate uh, the future of Hong Kong, that would mean uh, um, that could constitute to be in, uh, in, in uh, incessions or 
or something subversive. It's just illogical. But then, but then um, uh, they quiet for another two, three weeks, and given the third wave of COVID, and the government says, okay, maybe we can postpone the election for one year. Uh, if we if we connect all the dots, it seems that the government doesn't want to lose control of the legislative council because this is the first time ever the opposition, the Democrats, and had a chance to to take over half over half of the legislative council. So the government wants to postpone the election, but. I think postponing the election was only the first step. If it really does postpone the election, what comes after will be even more ugly. Think about that. How do you change people's voting? Do you threaten people? Do you bribe them? Do you do you hand out money to your cronies so that they can buy the votes? I don't know what would happen after that. So I hope the election is not postponed.、Uh, at the end of the day, there are a lot of administrative measures already in place that allows the administrative branch of the government to to do whatever it wants. The legislative council has certain power, but it's not really that big deal. The government has already bypassed the legislative council in passing the national security law, isn't it? So, they could have, they could have allowed the legislative council to say no to certain things. Hopefully, but it seems to me that they don't even want to allow people to have a rhetorical chance to say no to anything. That's what it seems to me. So let's talk about. Let's shift and talk a little bit about.、Um, uh, China's relationship with the United States and Hong Kong's relationship with the United States.、Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced a few months ago that Hong Kong was was no longer、uh, what's the word autonomous, independent, and our government now views、um, Hong Kong as as essentially under the thumb. One of, country, one system. Yeah, one country, <laughs> one system. And that has real implications for trade and and relationships with with our country. What do you think the、um, American citizens can do, and what can the U.S. government do to bring pressure on the Chinese government to back off? Interestingly, if you ask me,、um, I think the Chinese government they believe that if. If there is a pressure from the outside, that means they're doing the right thing. So they they don't they don't follow the logic normally we do.、Um, but it seems to me that there are more fractures、uh, inside China than it seems.、Um, and I am a pessimist. I don't think any outside pressure can really change a lot. And um, but at the least, I think all nations,、um, Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, 
they have to be very aware of the fact that um, um, Chinese Communist Party is trying to influence other nations as well. It is not a normal kind of interaction. They are trying to assert their own values. They are trying to assert that um, uh, a, a kind of institutions that is quite different from the liberal democracy as we have known it. Um, in the in the past thirty or so years, probably we believe that okay, you can have your own way of doing things, and we can have ours. And somewhere in between, we we need to find a zone where we can negotiate, we can deal with each other. So that was the international relations um, ever since uh, Nixon's. <laughs> um, but then it seems it comes to the point that um, that line, that buffer zone, needs to be redrawn, and. It is still in the process of of uh, negotiation. Where to draw the line? Where where the powers of projection should stop? Um, China made it very clear: anything that happens within the soil of China belongs to China, and Hong Kong, being uh, part of China, of course, should be decided by the Chinese Communist Party. So every time when 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 we talk about Hong Kong, uh, the Chinese government has a standard line to take. That is, Hong Kong is part of China. So everyone just stop talking about Chi- Hong Kong anymore. Um, of course, this is Chinese perspective, but um, for people in Hong Kong, it is a very sad situation because we were promised. The fifty years of autonomy, that means Hong Kong people should have the voice to have the the right to decide on our own what Hong Kong what's best for Hong Kong. Um, but for other nations, I think firstly is to draw the line where the these assertions can go, um, and it. If you think Hong Kong is part of China, and then so be it. It's one country, one system. Hong Kong no longer deserves any special treatment, and it's a fair game. And if there are any consequences to Hong Kong and hence to China, it's because you made the decision that Hong Kong is one country, one system. Um, I think that's that's uh, first what what. The international community should observe. They should no longer provide any preferential treatment to anywhere. But secondly, I think、um, it would be a very long and process of redrawing the international、uh, rules of the engagement with China.、Uh, China tries to develop its own alliance with、uh, Iran, North Korea, but. Um, they don't. They don't really have any common interests or common ideology, per se.、Um, one is in,、uh, you know, it's just different. They they are also different.、Um, perhaps they have common enemy. That is the rest of the world. But can they can they really 
sustain that kind of fight uh, for a long time? I don't. I don't think so. So um, I think for the time being, everyone's just better protect their own ideology and say in America, it is a nation of three uh, thinking people uh, coexisting for. 200 or so years peacefully and it's a place where people can come and become Americans uh, I think we should protect that uh, yeah. first and foremost what do you think about the idea of, of allowing Hong Kongers to immigrate to the United States as political dissidents uh, much like we did with, with Cuban refugees um, under Castro the UK uh, already offered um, Hong Kong people who hold a British national overseas passport uh, to stay there for five years on on even without visa stay there for five years and then have a pathway to citizenship the pathway to citizenship is is a, is a good idea because um, it it is it is a mutual relationship, right? You 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 move to a new nation, you become part of the nations, you you integrate into society, you find a job, you contribute, you pay taxes. I think those are important. You cannot have free riders uh, just be somewhere and then say, "Hey, I want to be your community." So it's a mutual thing. You you need to be accepted by the community. That means you have to do something. So I think the the United Kingdom's way of dealing with it is pretty smart, um, and in general, I think this uh, um, the United States needs to look at its immigration policy as well. Yeah. In general, generally speaking, if it opens up to attract the talents, attract people who can really contribute to society, who are willing to become Americans, yes, uh, I I think I'm all for. Um, allowing people to choose where they are and who they are. Uh, we should always, uh, as libertarians, allow ourselves to to shape, to, to define ourselves as who we are, So and also other people as well. So I think um, at, at the very essence, the immigration policy is really about allowing people who want to be come part of your nations to become uh, your your nationals. You know, one of the uh, uh, some conservatives and some liberals that are skeptical of of more open and liberal immigration argue that immigrants don't share American values. I think if you look at the street protests in Hong Kong, where the students there are probably more literate on our Bill of Rights and our Declaration of Independence than a lot of Americans are. It strikes me that the, the question of do we have shared values of, of individual responsibility and, and, and following the rules and, and respecting um, the need to, to work, um, you guys got it figured out perhaps better than we do. Um, I want to end with this. Um, one of my favorite memes during um, the, the NBA protests in the United States when, when a lot of Americans were actually being kicked out of games for expressing support for Hong Kong. 
uh, one of my favorite memes on Facebook and Twitter was um, be the America Hong Kong thinks you are. Mm. Meaning that um, we, we could do a better job of living up to our own ideals and, and, and young people putting their lives at risk in Hong Kong were, were proving how precious freedom and civil liberties and speech, how, how precious just being allowed to vote and control your own future actually are. And um, yes, and I've been in, in the freedom movement for 16 years and a lot of people says, hey, what are you doing in Hong Kong? Do you still need to like, advocate and defend freedom there? At the very beginning, I thought, yeah, uh, it's like telling the fish that how important water is. But um, down the road, it shows that, yes, a freedom has to be defended. Even though you are already quite free, um, you still need to defend the freedom. You, you still need to defend the institutions. Otherwise, thanks to uh, the law of nature, uh, things crumble uh, given enough time so it is it is very important that uh, America defends its own freedom defends its own institution before it collapses that's a great way to end thank you thank you thanks for watching Kibbe on Liberty by now you know this is the most important event of your week so make sure you subscribe on YouTube Click the little bell so you get notifications. Kibbe on Liberty, mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.